All right, what a blessing to be together in the Lord and to uh, worship and now to study God's word. Why don't you open your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 10. So we continue to work our way through this glorious book. We're in chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 15 through 27. The topic there, Joshua brings out and kills the five kings who were hiding in the cave at Makeda. The title of our message, Don't Make It So Easy to Defeat You That a Caveman Can Do It. Okay, it was either that or, can we, can we pause for a minute and talk about titles? I really like the titles. The other alternate, my favorite title this week was Caveman's Crib, but nobody, does anybody know what I'm even talking about? The Geico cavemen have a website now called Caveman's Crib, crib being a new vernacular meaning where you live. Okay, so that, that's a little bit too edgy, I thought. I gave that kind of a trial test balloon with some people I think are pretty cool, and they said, what? Uh, so then I thought I'd go retro and look at the Dark Cave 5. But none of you have heard of the Dave Clark 5, probably, right? So you have. That's it. Yeah, so that's... So anyway... Don't make it so easy to defeat you that a caveman can do it. Verse 15. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, now as we approach your word, we want to do it with a humility that says to you, Lord, that we need your help to understand it and to be changed by it. Fill our hearts with the wonder of your love, with the amazement of your grace. May we receive your mercy in waves abundantly, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Soichi Yokoi was a Japanese soldier who hid in the jungles of Guam for 27 years, rather than surrender to American forces at the end of World War II. 
Japanese troops were encouraged to fight to the death and taught that surrender was shameful. When American troops seized control of Guam in 1944, Yokoi and more than 1,000 other Japanese soldiers hid in the jungle rather than give up or commit suicide. The others were all captured within a couple of years or they died of starvation or sickness. Though he knew that Japan had surrendered, Yokoi continued to hide out, living in a well-concealed cave and surviving on fruit, nuts, fish, shrimp, frogs, rats, and snails, which would later become the South Beach diet. <laughs> Sorry. In January, that's not true, by the way. In January 1972, two American hunters surprised Yokoi at dusk as he was about to set fish traps in a river. They marched him at gunpoint to a local police station where he told his story to the stunned officers. I am ashamed that I have returned alive, Yokoi declared after his return, reflecting a traditional warrior spirit that it is better to die than to give oneself up to the enemy. I continue to live for the sake of the emperor and believing in the emperor and the Japanese spirit, he later declared. Yokoi was a thoroughly defeated enemy. He knew it. But he would not give up ground. Your spiritual enemies are thoroughly defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. They know it, but they won't easily give up ground. What makes it worse is that if we are not cautious, we can cooperate with them by giving our enemies a foothold in our lives. Our passage in Joshua 10 shows us the proper attitude towards our spiritual enemies who refuse to give up ground. Instead of giving them a foothold in our lives, we ought to see them as a foothold or excuse me, a footstool. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you have orders to not let your enemies gain a foothold. And number two, you have the Lord who makes your enemies a footstool. Verses 15 through 21, you have orders to not let your enemies gain a foothold. After describing the miracle of the sun and the moon standing still, extending the day so that Israel could defeat the five armies, our text gives additional information about the slaying of the five kings of those armies at the end of that same day. And so in verse 15, we read again, Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. Then is really after the events of verses 16 through 27. Joshua and the Israelites would return to their base camp briefly before launching out into the southern and then the northern military strike that are chronicled at the end of this chapter and in chapter 11. But before they did that, there were cavemen to kill. And so in verse 16, these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. All you can do is call them cowards. They ought to have stood shoulder to shoulder and fought with their men. And so, too, in Christian service, if you want to make an application, leaders are always to remain servants. And so if you are in a position of leadership uh, or you aspire to a position that would be considered leadership in the Christian life, remember that it is a position of greater and greater service to the body of Christ uh, you're not really being lifted up so much as you are going down and continuing to be uh, one of those who are serving. And so in verse 17, and so it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. The field leaders left it up to Joshua to decide the fate of these five. 
In any endeavor for the Lord, it's good to have leadership and to defer to it. God speaks to all of us, but he also tests our submission one to another. I've noticed in the Christian life so often in the life of the church, there really aren't so much right or wrong decisions. They're just decisions that are made. And a lot of times, uh, the, you know, God uses those situations to, uh, to show us submissive one to another. Uh, it's, it's something that you don't see too much out in the world, uh, out in the world where everything is more uh, unionized and democratized and, and all people are arguing and yelling and screaming and demanding their rights and stuff. And, and God says, now let's, let's uh, do something different in the church of Jesus Christ. Let's submit one to another in Christ and, and show a different heart and a different attitude. Uh, and so that's what we want to be about. Now, in verses 18 through 21, Joshua instructed his soldiers to seal up the five kings in a cave. These guys aren't killed until later, but they are as good as dead from this point forward. It reminds us again, as many passages in the book of Joshua do, that our spiritual enemies have already been defeated by Jesus Christ. We're told that on the cross... Jesus disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. That's from Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And so as the devil thought that he was defeating the Son of God, killing him on the cross, Jesus was winning his decisive victory over the devil at that moment. And by the way, important that you just meditate on that because that's how we win decisive victories as well. In what looks initially to be weakness, in what looks initially to be humility, in what looks initially from the world's point of view to be a defeat. Uh, if, you, if you had no revelation from the Bible and you saw Jesus Christ being crucified that day, you would think that he was defeated, that his movement was over, that anything he said was bogus. But you and I, with the uh, benefit not just of hindsight historically, but the revelation of the Word of God, cheer that moment on. Even as Jesus said, I have set my face towards that moment, towards the cross, because it was there that that victory was won, that sin was defeated, that death was conquered, that eternal life was guaranteed to us. And so we are going to be those people who also have to share in that crucifixion uh, in the sense that we die to ourselves in order to have victory. We're told in Romans 6.6 that our old nature was crucified when Jesus was crucified. We're told in Galatians 6.14 that the world is crucified to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so our traditional enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil... They have all been defeated. However, they are not giving up ground. And so we must reckon them defeated and fight on the way that the Israelites knew that the enemies there, the five armies were defeated, but they had to fight on before their kings were finally killed. Now, in Joshua's orders to his soldiers, we're going to identify a few strategies for our own reckoning against our enemies. And the first one was actually in verse 17, which we just read, where it says the five kings have been found hidden. It indicates that they had been seeking them, searching for them, and that they were going to bring them out and expose them. Now, we can too easily coexist with our enemies allowing them to remain hidden rather than going after them. 
So much of our growth and progress depends upon an openness to the Holy Spirit to use God's word to search our hearts and to reveal things to us, things that God can and desires to change by the power of his Holy Spirit. I grew up in a religious tradition that had a list of seven deadly mortal sins. And as long as you didn't commit one of those sins, you had a pretty good chance of going to heaven. You might not get there immediately, but you would get there eventually. And so I was always careful as a young boy not to commit any of the seven mortal sins. I think sometimes I've brought that over into my Christian life, and I noticed that a lot of people just have that kind of an attitude. As long as I don't commit any big, open, obvious sins that are going to get my name in the newspaper, I can do a lot of things that nobody sees or understands and keep them hidden in my, in my cave. And, and the very first thing that God says here is, if, if you are going to have your enemies as a footstool, you need to flush them out, you need to expose them, you can't be harboring them. And so as we encounter God in his word, as we allow the Holy Spirit to use the word, we want him to search our hearts and to find out what's happening there. This is why the Apostle Paul, the great apostle, towards the end of his ministry, not at the beginning, but towards the end of his ministry, called himself the chief of sinners. If, if you know, there was a... Well, I don't want to get into that analogy. That's I can't finish it. Anyway... You know how you, do you ever think of something and then it's just really lame? I do that every week, several times, so I'm very familiar with it. But anyway, uh, Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. Now, I believe that Paul was committing fewer and fewer sins. Like any good Christian growing in the Lord, he was sinning less and less. But he had a new sensitivity every day in his heart to things that were off, sinful, Wrong that he wanted God to deal with. Uh, we maybe just call them attitudes. I may not be sinning in my actions, but am I sinning in my attitudes? Is there bitterness and resentment and hatred and all of these kinds of things? Uh, there's a passage in Ephesians we'll quote later where Paul says, don't let the devil have a foothold in your life. And he's talking about the sin of anger. Uh, and, and so we pass into this realm, not of the mortal sins, but just of sin in general, where we need to be willing to let the Lord reveal to us what's really going on in our hearts. And, and this is really a battle. I mean, this is a, a battle in and of itself because we don't like to see ourselves as we really are. And when we do, we don't admit it. Or at least I don't. Maybe I'll just talk about myself here for a while. Where you just don't want to admit what a... You fill in the blank. A jerk, you are. And it's, it's a very sad thing. And so we can't progress. You know, the Lord wants to change these heart attitudes, but we want to keep them hidden. We kind of like them. We've learned to live with them. And as long as they're secret, as long as no one sees them, we think we're all right. But we need to find them out. We do it asking the Lord to use his word. Now, in verse 18, it says, So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. Joshua ordered them to stop up the cave and to set a reasonable guard at its entrance. Sometimes we need to just stop what we're doing. We need to say that it is sin. 
Jesus once put it in terms of amputation by saying, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. And he was talking about swift, decisive action against things that are definitely sinful. Maybe something we're doing isn't sin, but it is weakening us towards sin. Stop it. The stakes are too high to toy with liberties that can too easily turn into license. Paul the Apostle, again, when he's talking about the Christian life in the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians, and he says, hey, you know, what can you do? What shouldn't you do? Uh, He doesn't want to just give you a list of do's and don'ts. Don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Uh, You know, he doesn't he doesn't want to do that. Uh, And uh, because, you know, you know, so there, there are some things you'd say, well, yeah, Christian can't do that. But there's a big area. We call it a gray area where some Christians seem to have a liberty to do things and others don't. And Paul, and one of the things he says is ask yourself about this, whatever it is, whatever you're looking at, this hobby or habit or activity. Is it? profitable to your spiritual life? Is it going to further your spiritual life? Does it help you in your understanding of who Jesus is, etc., etc.? And that takes this to a whole different level. It gets us on the right footing where we're thinking, wait a minute, I belong to Jesus Christ. I want to serve the Lord with joy and with gladness. I should never be thinking about what can I get away with? How far can I go and still be a Christian or, you know, not stumble into one of the seven deadly sins? I should be wondering what I can get rid of and replace it with so that I can uh, grow closer to the Lord. And so we don't want to be toying with liberties that can too easily turn into license. And then after all that, we are to set a guard. They set a guard outside of the cave. And that tells us that we need to set a guard. We need to maybe change our habits or get rid of whatever it is that's causing us spiritual harm. We need to make it hard, if not impossible, to return to some cave and roll the stone away. And enjoy or get involved with that again. And, and this gets, sometimes gets down to uh, accountability. Now, a lot of people like to talk about accountability and how to go about it. But, a lot, you know, if you're really serious about sin, uh, you make yourself accountable to other people. Uh, and, and they know what's going on or they can check at any time what's happening in your life so that if you're doing something weird, they're going to know it. Uh, and, and so it's always kind of scary, the, the more secretive we get, the more we, we don't want people to know what's going on and, and the more hidden we are, uh, you know, those of you who had children and you've raised your children or are raising your children, you know when you, you stop and you can't hear them, all of a sudden the noise isn't coming anymore from their room and then you walk down there, they're doing something weird, aren't they? They're, they've climbed up on the dresser. They're hanging from the chandelier. They're, they're into something. They're, you know, they're where they're not supposed to be. I'm not saying I have any new firsthand experience with this, uh, with my granddaughter, not at all. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's just the way it is. You know? and, and that's what we sometimes do as adult Christians. We find little caves that we can hang out in where no one knows. Now, some of us, it's... Harder to be accountable because we have a lot of time away from others or whatever. Some it's, but for all of us, there's nothing wrong with a good, solid accountability. Where are you? What are you doing? Why are you there? 
let somebody know, especially, and especially husbands and wives, um, you know, be accountable to your spouse uh, more. So, you know, don't don't find another accountability partner, really, in some areas until you're accountable to your spouse. I mean, I think that's the way the Lord uh, desires it. Then in verse 19, don't stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Don't allow them to enter their cities for the Lord. Your God has delivered them into your hand. In your walk with the Lord, you're expected to gain ground, not just protect territory. Be looking to grow. Ask the Lord to stretch you. And this is always a concern because we do. We have a tendency to settle in. We, we hit a peak and then we get comfortable. And we need to be stirred up and, and stirring one another up to love and good works to do more and different and greater things for the Lord. Then it happened, verse 20, while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. Despite their best efforts, and note this, the Lord's supernatural intervention, because earlier in the chapter, we're told that God was throwing, you know, hailstones down on the enemy and knocking them down more than the Israelites killed. Despite all of that, some of these enemy soldiers did escape and enter fortified cities. Now, as the story goes on, we'll see they'll be defeated when the Israelites embark on their southern and northern campaigns. But what it's doing here in our story is reminding us that this side of heaven we will have no respite from warfare. Even though principalities and powers are defeated, even though we can say no to the flesh and to the world, the battle rages on. It's going to take a new earth and a new glorified physical body for our warfare against these enemies to be finally over. You can grow discouraged and weary in this long fight. Or you can see it as a challenge that sharpens your spiritual skills. It's a phenomenon of soldiers and sailors, of emergency service personnel and law enforcement, that as much as you do not want to be needed, you are up for the challenge and you're ready for it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. Uh, you know, pick on firemen a little bit. Firemen don't want your house to burn down. They really don't. But they need to be ready. And when the fire call comes in, their adrenaline keys in and they're willing to risk their life to save you and uh, to a certain extent, even your belongings. And, and that's the Christian life. You are ready to fight because you're a soldier in a spiritual warfare. You can allow trials and tribulations to defeat you or you can understand that they teach you that you can do all things through Jesus Christ. Verse 21, and all of the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. None of the Israelites were lost in the battle. Similarly, you are secure in Jesus Christ. He will not lose one of those the father has given to him to save. They return to their camp. Similarly, you will be with the Lord one day. Now, these eternal truths ought to give you peace. Too many people are stressed out, and that includes Christians. Just my armchair observation, but it seems like over the past 10 years, Christians are getting more and more stressed out and having and enjoying less and less of the peace of God. I'm sure there's a million reasons for it. One of them in our context this morning is perhaps that we have forgotten that we are in a war. 
Sometimes I think we react to trials and temptations as if we are civilians who have been unfairly attacked by a sinister enemy. And, you know, in the world, that bothers us. It bothers us when innocent civilians, women and children, are attacked. You know, let's go army to army and fight this thing out. But when you start to attack civilians, that's just wrong. And I think sometimes as Christians, we, we get stressed out because we, we're almost reacting like civilians. It's like, hey, why is this happening to me? I don't understand this. When in reality, we are soldiers in a fierce, ongoing spiritual struggle. Some of us closer to the front lines than others, but all of us involved in the warfare. We are not civilians. We're soldiers. And we need to have a mindset and a readiness as a soldier rather than a civilian. And if we did, then I think we would be better off and have less stress in our lives. Now, at the end of verse 21, it says, no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. In other words, their enemies feared them. They knew that God was with them and among them, and they feared them. Christians and churches are targets for criticism. We don't seem to inspire much fear in the world. I'm sure there are dozens or hundreds of reasons why that might be so. But again, I think if we would remember we are soldiers and if we would get into a fight, all of that will change. God will do things for us and among us that will be notable and it will stop the mouths of our enemies. People will look at us and say, hey, those people are doing something. They're serious about serving the Lord. They're out in the fray. Your enemies fight on. Don't let them gain a foothold in your life. Remain cautious and vigilant. And that brings us to verses 22 through 27. You have the Lord who makes your enemies a footstool. In the remaining verses, Joshua makes a public spectacle of the five kings. They are made to bow before him. He tells his captains to place their feet on the necks of those kings. And then he kills them and hangs their bodies until nightfall. It summarizes in a picture the struggle that began in the Garden of Eden and that will end with the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. In the Garden, after man sinned, God promised to come himself as our Savior. It would involve his death as a sacrifice, but it would be his triumph over Satan and sin and death. Announcing his triumph, the Lord said to the devil in Genesis 3.15, I will bruise your head. It's the same picture of putting your foot on the neck of your enemy to show that he has been totally defeated. On the cross, Jesus, God in human flesh, defeated the devil. He conquered sin. He ruined death forever. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Now he waits to return and finally fully establish his rule and reign over the earth and all creation. And thus you read in Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. On the cross, the Lord bruised the devil's head, just as prophesied. The full and final fulfillment of his victory waits for his return when Jesus will make the devil and all his enemies his footstool. You and I live in this until between Jesus' victory and his coming to finally and fully establish it. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet Shortly, 
And so do you see the picture? The Lord says, devil, I'm going to come and bruise your head. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the devil is and will be the Lord's footstool. And so we're able to say, the God of peace will shortly, completely crush the devil and have him as a footstool. In the meantime, there's no doubt about that outcome. Jesus is coming, and we can have victory now because those enemies are defeated. We just need to walk in that victory. We need to flush them out and defeat them one by one, uh, battle by battle, but without fear. And so we are to assume the position that our enemies are a footstool. And so just as Joshua invited his captains to take that position, so Jesus invites us to do the same. That's the, that's the real picture in these verses that I want to get. Jesus is our Joshua. And he says to me, he says, Gene, I want you to come out and I want you to look at this cave-dwelling enemy in your life. I want you to look at the devil. I want you to look at your flesh. I want you to look at the world. Uh, whatever aspect of it you're struggling with right now. You know I've defeated that, don't you? Yes, I do, Lord. I know you have. You did it on the cross. And you rose from the dead and you ascended into heaven. And I know that you have the ultimate victory and you're going to bring that victory ultimately. And so the Lord would say, well, then you put your feet on the necks of these enemies now. You defeat them now. That's how you walk. We talked about how these Israelites, the, the verse that says that they had to walk in the promised land everywhere they set their foot, God would give them the victory. Now you see how to set your foot. You set it on the neck of your enemy, believing that that is a defeated foe. Now, why don't we have that victory more often? Going back to the beginning of what I said, sometimes we're not really seeking that victory. How, how much are we seeking victory in the area of forgiveness and bitterness and resentment and all of those kinds of things? Other times we feel like we're civilians unfairly attacked and we've forgotten that we're soldiers. I mean, so there's a lot of reasons for it, but this is the picture. The, the, the Lord has the victory and we can share in that victory. We are to take a spiritual stand against the devil, against our flesh, as if they were already our footstool. And so it comes down to, if you want a very simple note to write in your Bible, it comes down to foothold versus footstool. It's one or the other. We can give spiritual foes and forces a foothold by sinning or by setting ourselves up to sin. Or we can assume a position of placing them as our footstool because of what our Joshua has accomplished for us on the cross. Ask the Lord to bring out any cave dwellers in your life. Bring them out into the light of God's word. Claim your victory over them. Stand in victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. And I pray that they would be an encouragement to us, Lord, uh, to know that you've already given us victory and that if we're not walking in it, it's because we don't want to sometimes. Some of these foes are fierce, well, all of them are fierce. We'll see next time we're together that some of them require uh, more of a struggle than others, but all of them can be overcome as we seek you and follow you, look to you, long for you, desire you. Set us free, Lord, to be uh, the people that you have desired us to be, be changing and molding and shaping us from glory to glory 
so that we can reveal more of your love and light to others we're around, starting with our own families, but then moving out, Lord, into uh, other realms as well. Bless our fellowship. May we be a fellowship, Lord, for your sake, uh, that, that no one has anything to say about because of all the things that we are doing in your name and for your glory. We thank you for that. And we believe that you can do that as well. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Guys are here to pray with you. And um, please avail yourself of that. Uh, it's, it's a blessing to have that point of contact. Uh, Ignite tonight over in Lemoore at 6 o'clock. Love to have you there. Uh, and then uh, the rest of our weekly activities are listed in the bulletin. Still time to sign up for family camp. If you have signed up, you'll be getting some updated information tomorrow. Just little things like if you're going to bring food, bring a secure ice chest so bears don't tear your heart out. Uh, you know, things like that. No, I just, I'm exaggerating. Uh, a little bit. So anyway, uh, just a couple of things that we want to add. We're looking forward to a great camp. And really, if uh, you know, we'd love to have some of you just on Saturday all day uh, to hang out with us, uh, you know, especially in the afternoon from noon on, because uh, that's when we get into the water Olympics. If you think the real Olympics are something, Michael Phelps has nothing on us, you know. May God bless you. Amen. Grab a burrito.